Hello and welcome to A Star to Steer Her By, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Caitlin and today I'm joined by... Jake, Chris, and Ames. And today we're going to talk about Star Trek TOS episodes The Man Trap and Charlie X. Well, what is going on here? Well, what is going on here is the fact that when me and Jake and Caitlin Ames sat down and first discussed what the format of A Star to Steer Her By would be, we had discussed whether or not we would sort of provide episode summaries or additional plot details in our discussions, and ultimately we had decided against it. But with episode two having gone live, we got some feedback saying how people would appreciate or find episode summaries useful. Unfortunately, just due to the realities of time and people's schedules and all that, we've, of course, already recorded quite a few episodes by the time episode uh, two actually went live on the internet. So to sort of try to help a little, we're going to be recording some little inserts here to go to the beginning of each episode, giving brief episode descriptions of the episodes that are going to be discussed later. Uh, this will be happening for the next several weeks, as I believe we have up through, let's say, episode 7 recorded right now. Little little inside baseball for you right there. Uh, these are going to be very, very, you know, sort of brief summaries, kind of quick. You know, you know not, not super thorough, just give you a good enough idea. I would advise, you know, if you really want more detail and have time to watch the episodes, pop on over to Memory Alpha, which is a really good Star Trek fan wiki. It, it has very thorough episode descriptions, and in fact, I just glanced over them before doing this just to make sure I wasn't forgetting any pertinent information from the two episodes that are coming up uh, because, you know, it's been a few weeks and there are finer points I had sort of forgotten, although I remember, you know, the larger, larger pieces. So without any further ado, let's get to the episode summaries of The Man Trap and Charlie X. The Man Trap involves the Enterprise going to planet M113, the only known inhabitants of which are human archaeologist Dr. Crater and his wife Nancy. The Doctor is investigating a long-lost civilization, you know, studying their ruins and their artifacts. Crater is there as his... Uh, Nancy, rather, is there as his wife. Uh, and Nancy is also an old flame of Dr. McCoy, who hasn't seen her in, I believe, it's something like a decade. And the Enterprise is just there, you know, they, the Starfleet has someone check in on them annually or every other year, something like that. You know, it's just their job to drop off supplies and do medical exams of the craters, because, again, they are the, the only people there, as far as anyone knows. So, Kirk and McCoy beam on down, and Crater seems somewhat reticent to have the Starfleet personnel there. He just wants his supplies and wants them to go. He has to be reminded by Kirk that the exams are required, and this seems to make him a bit jumpy. Nancy eventually comes in and is seen as three different people by the three Starfleet personnel, Kirk, McCoy, and uh, an eventually doomed fellow named Darnell. Kirk and McCoy both see the same woman, but McCoy sees her quite a bit younger, you know, sort of as he remembers her from the last time they saw one another. Darnell, meanwhile, sees a very young blonde woman who he begins to mention he recognizes from some pleasure planet he'd been to. Kirk hushes him and he goes on his merry way to get some air. He's eventually followed by Nancy, although again, to him, he still, she still rather looks like this, this blonde woman from the, from the pleasure planet. Cut back to Kirk and McCoy, talking to Car crater, uh, and then there's a scream, everyone rushes outside, Darnell is dead, with Nancy standing over him, she claims he ate some sort of poisonous plant despite her objections. Kirk, McCoy, and the 
body of Darnell are beamed up to the Enterprise, and McCoy goes to work trying to figure out what had killed the crewman. Eventually, McCoy works out that the crewman had been drained of all of his salt rather than been poisoned and has, you know, these distinct red rings on his face, which, you know, no poison McCoy knows of leaves these distinctive red markings that Darnell has. So Kirk, McCoy, and two other crewmen beam down to the planet to explain to Crater and Nancy that they would like them to come up to the Enterprise until they can figure out what's going on and do an investigation. Uh, Crater runs off. Uh, Nancy disappears, I believe. Uh, I mean, not in front of anyone, but shoot her. She's gone too. Kirk, McCoy, and the crewmen sort of run around looking for them, uh, and a crewman, you know, the, 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 the two doomed crewmen, no surprise there, each run into Nancy separately. Uh, she is revealed to be a shape-shifting alien monster that has suckers on her hand. She drains people of their of their salt, and uh, she shape-shifts into the form of one of the two crewmen she has killed, a fella named Green. These, you know, Kirk, McCoy, and fake Green, uh, along with the body of the other doomed crewmen, beam up to the Enterprise. There, the alien goes on a desperate search for for salt sources, following Janice Rand into the biology department because she's bringing Sulu his dinner and uh, it has a big salt shaker on it. You know, thwarted there, it shapeshifts into the form of a uh, crewman who who sort of makes a pass at Uhura and looks about ready to steal her salt when Rand and Sulu reemerge and it has to uh, run off. It eventually takes on the form of Dr. McCoy because it somehow finds out that the real McCoy, no pun intended, sorry, is asleep in his quarters, having been ordered to get some rest from Kirk earlier on in the episode, uh, in a point that honestly I remember exactly where it is, and Memory Alpha doesn't specify, unfortunately. Eventually, um, during all this, Kirk has gone back down to the planet with Spock, and they finally manage to apprehend Crater, they bring him back up to the Enterprise, and in a conference which involves the disguised McCoy, uh, Crater explains that the salt monster is the last known member of its species from planet M113. It killed Nancy, you know, sometime since the last check-in, uh, you know, for her salt, and they eventually, for whatever reason, it didn't kill him. He doesn't, he's a little vague on the details here, but they, he, you know, didn't try to kill it, and it didn't try to kill him, and he gives it salt, and it provides him companionship, make of that what you will, uh, and he admits that he can recognize the creature, regardless as to what form it's taken. So that means he, he knows, you know, McCoy is right next to him, he knows Nancy's in there, but he doesn't, doesn't rat her out at this point. You know, they, they, they decide to use a truth serum on Crater, and he is brought down to medical by fake Dr. McCoy, and, of course, later turns up dead, and when Spock you know, goes to confront McCoy about this, the monster tries to steal his salt, but uh, runs away, as we will find out later. It's because Vulcan salt is somehow incompatible with it. Eventually, it takes on Nancy's form again and goes to Dr. McCoy's room, waking him up, uh, saying that something's gone wrong, this and that. You know, McCoy doesn't have a lot of these details. You know, Kirk bursts in with a phaser and some salt, you know, explains to McCoy what's going on. The creature begs McCoy to protect her. Spock bursts in and actually starts quite, quite, brutally beating up on the alien to sort of to make the point that this couldn't be Nancy. Nancy wouldn't be able to take what this creature is taking. Uh, it knocks Spock down. He, Leonard Nimoy does a very amusing face as he goes down. And then the creature begins to steal Kirk's salt. You know, a, an obviously conflicted and confused McCoy does, does do what is necessary to save his captain and guns down the last known M113 creature. And then there's a poignant moment on the bridge. Charlie X, meanwhile, opens with the Enterprise meeting up with the freighter Antares. They are transferring young Charlie Evans to the Enterprise to be taken to Colony 5. Evans is the only known survivor of a spaceship crash 
on the plane at Thasis, uh, and the, the Antares found him there, now 17, he crashed there when he was 3, and, uh, you know, he's being transferred to the Enterprise to go to Colony 5, because that's where his only known surviving family is. The crew of the Antares seems very eager to be on their, on their way, they're, they're effusive in their pr praise of Charlie, I may be lifting that directly from the memory alpha summary, in fact, uh, but, you know, they all seem... It's a little off. Things are a little weird. They clearly just want to fucking go. Uh, and they and they leave. And, uh, you know, Charlie is, you know, immediately just kind of awkward. Makes everyone uncomfortable. Sees Janice Rand and goes, Is that a girl? And, you know, everyone has a little chuckle. Oh, oh, oh yes, it is, Charlie. Ha ha. And, you know, then there's sort of just this little kind of montage of Charlie going around, meeting people, seeing people, being... Get a little, you know, a little weird, because he's never been properly socialized. He's been living on his own, supposedly raised by his ship's computer uh, for 14 or whatever years. Uh, he eventually, you know, goes to the Enterprise rec room, where Mr. Spock is playing a Vulcan liar, and Uhura accompanies him uh, with a song. And, uh, you know, she starts to make up another about Charlie, but um, he kind of makes a weird face, and suddenly she she chokes up, can't really sing, and settles down. And then Charlie makes a weird pass at Rand and does some card tricks at her, wherein he turns cards into pictures of her, and no one questions how that's just weird. You know, and cut to a new scene where Kirk is telling his galley chief that it's Thanksgiving, and he wants the synthetic meatloaf they eat to be made to look like turkey, apparently. It's a weird little thing. Uh, you know, then Charlie shows up and they're talking for a bit, but then Kirk is called to the bridge, Charlie goes with him, and it's a long-range transmission from the Antares, they're saying they want to warn Kirk about something, the signal's very weak and crackly, and it suddenly cuts out, uh, and Charlie cryptically says it wasn't a very well-made ship, before Mr. Spock can confirm with his long-range scanners that the Antares has, in fact, been destroyed. Kirk and Spock, later on, are discussing the situation over a game of tridimensional chess. Uh, Charlie walks in, uh, shortly before Kirk beats Spock, using his illogical tactic as he didn't where no man has gone before. Kirk leaves and Charlie and Spock play a very brief game. Spock defeats him very quickly. Charlie throws a fit and Spock leaves. And then Charlie uh, very blatantly melts the chess pieces. You know, it's become more evident. There are little things dropped here and there, but his mind powers are... Uh, yeah, it's being made more obvious there's a dangerous aspect. <laughs> Not just changing cards and turning synthetic meatloaf into real turkey, which is something he did at some point. After this, Rand, who, you know, has had a couple scenes with Charlie awkwardly hitting on her, tries to introduce him to Tina Lawton, a uh, much younger yeoman, a yeoman his age. Uh, but he brushes her off and says he wants to talk to Janice alone and admits his feelings for her. And Janice eventually goes to Kirk and saying, you know, could you let him down easy? Could you explain how this works so I don't have to do it all? You know, she feels bad for him. She's the first woman he's ever seen. She doesn't want to have to let him down hard, but she also wants nothing to do with it. Kirk tries to give Charlie sort of the, the birds and the bees talk, and it's all very, you know, he he's, it's awkward and still, it's played very, very funny, you know, Kirk not really knowing how to do this, really. He decides, you know, he's going to bring Charlie down to the gym to try to let him use some energy in exercise and treating some basic judo. He's very awkward, and a crewman named Sam, who'd been helping Kirk demonstrate, you know, laughs at, at the situation, and Charlie makes weird eyes at him, and he vanishes. Uh, he makes him go away, as Charlie calls it. Uh, things begin to escalate pretty rapidly from here. Charlie begins storming around the ship, using his powers to, to rip off crewman's face. Well, not rip off. He he sort of blanks crewman's faces. He turns a Tina into an iguana. Uh, eventually, Kirk and Spock trick him into the brig, but then he just makes the wall of the brig vanish. You know, his, his control of the ship seems rather absolute. Uh, you know, they're trying to figure out what to do. He still wants to go to Colony 5, and Kirk can only think of just the, the absolute havoc and terror he will raise in an 
you know, a large populated area. But as they're sitting and planning, Kirk eventually realizes, you know, it's been a while since Charlie did anything major. He hasn't made anyone disappear. He hasn't had any truly huge demonstrations of his power. And they work under the assumption that, well, Kirk works under the assumption that maybe Charlie is spreading himself too thin. And if they turn all the all the ship's systems onto high, basically, you know, he'll, he'll have to work harder to control the ship. And thus, they'll be able to get the drop on him. The plan is to get him exerting all his power so that McCoy can get up behind him and hypo him and knock him out and then they can they can do what they will. And they go to the bridge and Charlie starts to try to interfere with them but they do get things activated very quickly and Charlie is clearly being strained but before they can see if the whole hypo aspect will work a transmission gets through that that had been mentioned briefly earlier it was uh, having trouble getting through to the ship and before long a, a Thasian appears uh, projecting the image of a human face onto the bridge uh, they had come up very briefly earlier uh, they were a, a sort of a thought of as mythic alien species from the planet of the Thasis only Spock seemed to think they might be real yeah, and it turns out they, they in fact are and they're the ones that had raised Charlie and also given him his extensive powers to help him survive because they're just energy beings apparently or something they never quite specified so, so he could survive and provide for himself they gave him these powers but now they they're taking him back because they realize there's no way for him to be properly integrated into human society at this stage you know it's a little vague as to whether or not they are unwilling or unable to take away his powers it's not specified in the episode charlie you know gives a heartfelt plea to the crew of the enterprise let him stay he'll be good he goes on about how they they don't have bodies they can't touch uh, and he very tragically is taken away and uh, everyone Sort of feeling a bit deflated and conflicted, the episode draws to a close. So, with that done, I am now going to hand this back off to the show proper. I believe it picks up with Jake, and uh, we will go from there. So, uh, look for this again next week and in the coming weeks. And again, eventually, once we, we are up to episodes where we are recording with this in mind, it'll be integrated a little more organically. So, thank you, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Who's going to start us off here? Ames, anything interesting from your end? I think we, we opened with you sort of giving your research last time, and I feel like that worked pretty well. Oh, yeah. Quick, very quick research. I have rel- relatively less research on these two. Man Trap, of course, is the first aired episode of Star Trek to be seen by a wider television audience than the two pilots. So this was our first taste of Star Trek publicly, and it was first aired September 8th, 1966. Uh, we get Dr. McCoy as well. We do get Dr. McCoy. We yeah. get Uhura. Dr. McCoy, and just right off the bat... Man has bad relationships. You mean bad luck of the relationships? Yeah. Yeah, as as far as I can tell, uh, like, the relationship was fine. Like, the lady is fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it just, it did, it it somehow ended, though. We don't, we don't know how, but considering that, you know, although it was, it actually took until the Abrams movie for it to be made canon, but um, it was always implicit that Doc was divorced at least once. Hmm. Uh, I know in the Space Hippies episode, it was in the earlier drafts, one of the Space Hippies was explicitly McCoy's daughter from that marriage. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Um, Would this have been, Nan- like, was this assumably Nancy's child or somebody else? No, no, there was just a straight up divorce. I don't think him and Nancy were ever married. Okay. They had just been... Yeah, at divorced. least... I think it will be mentioned ex-wife if it was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, no, this was a... And, and it, yeah, I mean, it is vague why it ended. Did he just go off into space? It is ten years before. Yeah. I mean, they didn't. it does seem uh, like an amicable yeah. separation. You know, they, they see each other again. They're happy to see each other. Yeah. They're, no one no one's scowling. Except, Do they except see for, each other again? Oh. 
Mm, we'll wow. get to that. Well, mm. I do want to say this is it's very interesting because last week we talked about the pilots and this week we have Mantrap and Charlie X. So we're just inundated in mental powers so far. Yeah. I mean, they're at least, they're varying, you know, a little bit each time. The Talosians had crazy, like, illusory powers. Gary Mitchell wound up as basically an evil Jedi, right down to the Force Lightning. <laughs> this week, it's... The Salt Vampire. Which is shape-shifting and light mind-reading. Yeah, well, you get the light mind-reading, and I would say that even, it is a little bit of illusory imagery because yeah. three people see the salt vampire as different creatures at the same time that's true so, so it's, it's not the shape that shifted yeah. it's your perception of the shape that shifted yeah so it is a, it's illusory powers again but much more localized i guess, I guess. to the individual well i was i assumed that it was not actually projecting the images so much as uh, like echoing back what the person viewing wanted to see in a way so how is that know, different well you know it wasn't like it was actively the creating illusions i think i think it was sort of it was almost passively uh, creating illusions on the fly so that's mm-hmm. why you know that ensign Ricky. not gonna survive yeah he saw the you know the sexy blonde and kirk saw Darnell. evidently as yes. she should be appearing and of course, McCoy sees her first as, like, this hot young thing as he remembered her. Which, I mean, does that mean Kirk saw a picture of Nancy at some point? He sees the same woman, she just looks See, I assume, her age. I assume that's how she looked the year or two prior when, when the salt vampire killed her. So the mm. salt vampire knows what she looks like because, can, right, right. because he came across her. Right, that's a good point. It still doesn't explain why Ensign Ricky sees the blonde chick. Yeah, you'd think for, like, just internal security purposes, it would have made sure... Doc seeing her looking younger than she is is one thing, but you'd think she'd have made sure Kirk and uh, Ensign, I looked him up, Ensign Darnell saw the same woman. Because, like, right away, even Kirk is like, that's a stupid thing to say, young man, when he's like, you look just like this woman from this planet of the hookers. (laughs) I mean, they call it a pleasure planet, but that means it is a planet just full of of people you pay for sex. Yeah, it's probably wherever uh, Pike was when he was... <laughs> yeah, when I was going to say, where the green girls really want you to rockin'. just use them. Yeah. Yeah, and then, it, you know, that was an interesting thing where the first time McCoy sees the, you know, Nancy creature, he sees young Nancy, but we never see young Nancy again. We only see, I, th- I think, they only, you know, in Age subsequent times Nancy. that he sees her... Unless they just unless they did the effect once and we're like okay we've established that she does this and this is how Doc and it's you know it's too expensive to employ three actresses or two actresses wasn't it the same actress just with like different wigs was it I it felt like all they did was change her hair a little like I didn't really Mm -hmm. feel like they might have aged I meant I meant to look that up and forgot did that come up in your I didn't look it up. Why did he not question it then if he saw her young and then five minutes later saw her old? Right. You'd think like, he'd be like... He, I think there is sort of some... There is. Uh-huh. Some, I guess I was thinking with my dick again. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's some dialogue that basically, yeah, he's like, ah, he says something about, like, you know, having viewed her through the prism of his, his memories or whatever. Fantasies of an old man, Jim. Yeah, and I mean, he does drink a Mint lot. juleps, yeah, I was going to so. say. Uh, <laughs> no, but speaking of the, the salt va- vampire and the fact that it can read your minds, like, it goes and it finds who you want to see, too. So, yeah. Uhura sees the, the man who can speak Swahili. Yeah. And mm. 
who by all accounts isn't an existing crew member. So this, the, the salt monster sort of pieced together some sort of very specific fantasy. Listen, she's so lonely that she's trying to hit on Spock at, for, at one point, for Christ's sake. I, I found mean, that so endearing. Yeah, between, was it, yeah, both these episodes. There's Has Uhura hitting on Spock? I mean, she always, like, kind of teases him. I, 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 think, she, I think she has. This. Yeah, it's it sort of comes up. I, I feel like it comes up more, too, later. I mean, I guess we'll see, but I, I seem to remember, actually, I was thinking about it in the context of the, the new movies, yeah. and I remember, you know, I was like, oh, I don't buy that Uhura and Spock are actually together, because she always, like, she was always trying to, like, seduce him, but, but obviously just fucking with him. And I don't know. If he would have gone for it, you don't think she would have I mean, been? I mean, she cause... might have, but the point is that he would never go for it. Well, yeah. yeah, but this is the more human Spock in the case. But yeah, that's, that's what I mean, I'll admit. punches people yeah. all the time. I'll, his I'll admit. father went for it. That's true. That's true, but his... Yeah, but wasn't that for, like, political reasons or oh, something, man. probably? I don't think they ever make it explicit as to why they Oh, uh, I can't imagine that it wasn't. I, I think Sarek just referred to it as being illogical, probably, because Vulcan... But yeah, no, I'll admit, having forgotten, forgotten all of this, suddenly that relationship in the Kelvin movies, it's like, oh, this came less out of left field than I initially remembered or yeah. thought. Yeah, I don't know, I, I, just, I just never saw the, the relationship on the original series as being anything other than Uhura having fun with with Spock's inability, apparent inability to well, experience uh, romantic feelings. Well, I also think Uhura, Uhura is probably very lonely. She says, you know, she's attached to the comm machine all the time. She's starting to lose her sense of self. Walking freezer unit. Walking freezer unit. Oh, not Uhura. No, that's true. Um, I, w- I will say, I think in the first one anyway, in, in Mantrap. Mantrap, thank you. In Mantrap, she does seem to be slightly annoyed at his sort of rebuffing her. So maybe that first attempt was legitimate, but from there on out. And then Chapel ends up kind of having a thing for him, right, later on. Yeah, and I always feel like the, the Nurse Chapel, you know, and again, we're get, we are getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah. I always felt like the Nurse Chapel's attraction towards Spock was actually more of an unrequited... Tragic like, sort of scenario. Yeah, like she actually... Nurse Chapel's attraction to Spock is more of a legit attraction. Yeah. And I think that Uhura is just sort of goofing on Spock's mm. weirdoness. Yeah. Speaking of, this is only very loosely related, but did anyone else notice the very start of the episode? You kind of get this feeling like they realized they'd forgotten to do an establishing shot of the bridge because it opens with Spock in the chair, which that's normal because he's been left in charge. Helm and Navigation are being manned by Lieutenant Leslie and yes. Uhura. Mm. He's the only time you see Uhura at that little front panel in a, like, non-disaster situation, or possibly ever. And it's like, you really get the sense. It's like somebody went, oh, shit, we forgot to do this shot, and we sent most of the Who's actors still home. still here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this, this also... Nichols! Guy that plays Leslie! I don't know his name. Yeah. <laughs> well, this also wasn't originally supposed to be the pilot. This one... They, they shot it later, but it happened to be ready, like, earlier than the other ones. So they said, which one do we want to be the pilot? This one, or, like, Mud's Women, or I forget what other ones were ready. Where No Man Has Gone Before obviously was ready, because that was the second pilot. And they said, ah, oh, no, not those two. Let's, <laughs> let's just do Man Trap, because it's ready, because, you know, it's not too expository. Because you get a good sense of the characters, and you actually get to see a planet, which yeah. is cool. When you, I think you said last week we were talking about this. They really didn't want to open with Space Pimp, the show. Or was that our supposition? Hey, I don't know if that was, you know, specifically what they want, 
want to do. But the thing is, I mean, and maybe my memories of, of Mud's Women is, is clouded uh, by I was, was going to say rose-colored, but... Well, but the thing is, like, I remember that episode, yeah, despite it being about space pimps, it's also fairly light-hearted, just in yeah. Mud as a character is, is such a goof. Yeah, it's inevitable that if he shows up, it's going to be a little, little yeah, wacky. It's silly. Uh, but this this episode, Man Trap, was a little more grounded, a little more serious in tone. But still, you know, and I think that for the first time between, you know, obviously we all agreed that the cage was was fairly humorless and uh, where No Man Has Gone Before is very serious. Oh, it's so full of death, too. It's so full of, well, this one's pretty full of death. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. There's a lot of death so far. But, uh, but it does have, you know, you, you sort of start to see that relationship forming with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, which which I thought was great. So you think this is a good choice to be the first introduction to Star Trek to the wider audience? Yeah, I think if they were, you know, if the Kirk, Spock, McCoy trifecta is going to be their three leads, which obviously that is what happened. I think this would was, but aside from the other two, this was a good intro to that. Yeah. It's interesting too, because you've still got, one thing I'm realizing with the, watching the early ones, they still are kind of figuring Kirk out. Like, I feel like if they had made this episode in the second season, you know, would they have had Kirk see sort of a, a different Nancy as well? Because I feel like we still haven't quite quite gotten to the stage of, you know, Captain Kirk's space horn dog. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, in the second season, he sees a different Nancy, and then Bones are, you know? Just so much. And then there's like a uh, East Ventura-esque scene at the end where he realizes he just fucked a sucker monster and uh, burns all of his clothes and showers <laughs> and chews eight packs of gum. I still maintain that those teeth retract. And that is why Professor Curly Hair was oh. was down with that situation. Oh. Yeah, mm. Professor Crater, no. That's his name, thank oh. you. <laughs> I mean, they do state that the salt vampire wants comfort and and close and a close relationship as well. They need salt and they need physical touch. Something like that. Which is going to play into when I talk about Charlie X a little bit, and that's going to be exciting. Oh God. Now, is the planet that cr- the craters are on, is that, is there like no salt in the environment or something? There mustn't be enough. I mean... So we know... So, so but they crater, were there to begin with. Right. Crater they? says that Nancy is the last of her kind. Maybe there had been some sort of natural source of salt that they either depleted or that some sort of disaster wiped out. Mm. But how do you, like, because I think of, like, a salt, it would just be, like, a mine, or, like, it would just be, like, a bunch of naturally occurring shit Well, I mean, we, don't, right? we so... don't know about this planet. Maybe it came from a plant or something that went extinct. Or maybe there's more animals that, for whatever reason, all went kaput. Or maybe, just maybe, here's a wild speculation. All right. Maybe the, the, the salt monster doesn't, it doesn't subsist on salt, but... Now, there was some other source of food that it was eating. But when the craters came and brought all of this delicious salt with them, <laughs> the, the the salt monster got some of it, got addicted to salt, and now it's basically just, just chasing the dragon. Yes, yes. <laughs> like the mighty buffalo. No, no, no. The, buff- <laughs> no. the buffalo analogy no longer works. It has fallen to pieces. Although I don't think the buffalo analogy was great to begin with. No, that's true, because they weren't hunted to extinction. <laughs> I mean, yes, the last one was straight up shot to death. But they in retrospect, they could have used humpback whales, and then there would be later precedent. Yes, for oh, I, I, to preserve I that would species. be, I would be all about that. 
I would feel less comfortable with Crater fucking a humpback whale, though. <laughs> 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 but only slightly less. Oh, oh, God. But McCoy would be into it. My ex, the humpback whale. <laughs> I like your theory, though, Jake. Yeah, I just like... Because I, I, I couldn't understand why... How the salt monsters lived on a planet that evidently only had salt by way of people visiting. Yeah, it does seem a little weird. Maybe they went extinct because people kept grabbing them and making them be whatever they wanted and fucking them. That's also possible. <laughs> like, I just... Oh. It's just so gross. Like, I mean, again, I mean, I take your point, Ames, about they also want relationships, but it's like, how do you... How, how do you get a... How do you get excited knowing that underneath whatever you've dreamed up today is just that? I don't know. Here's the other thing. It's clearly an intelligent creature. Like, when it's in human form, it has perfectly fine conversations and it manages to stop being a fucking weirdo. Why didn't it just say hello? Like, it just, it, it, it's this weird moment of, like, most of the time it seems to be acting purely on instinct, but then they prove it has higher sentience. Like, which is it? How, this, this to me seems a... It can, it can certainly be both. Yeah, I think it definitely is, but I do think, you know, again, to, to sort of stretch that addict analogy you know if it's yeah really that deprived of of this essential thing that it needs i could see it going a little crazy and, and yeah going, see, I, going after people. i wonder a bit how deprived it is because it's lived for at least the two years on or a year or two on just whatever crater gives it which i don't know what that is i don't know if he's like letting her letting the former nancy or, or the current nancy just have bits of his Sodium. Well, they had they had like yeah, a yeah, yeah. bottle of salt tablets, yeah. which supposedly were needed because it was arid. Which that makes no sense to me. Oh, it's really hot and sweaty here. I need salt. I think with the salt, I think there's probably a biologic. Like if you if you if it's really dry, if you take in salt, you'll actually retain more water. Oh, maybe. Well, yeah, because they say that. you sweat it out too. Like yeah. that's... so, if you're sweating too much, yeah, I guess. Mm, yeah. If yeah, you're but... subsisting on weird rations, maybe you're not getting. Enough salt as you would in normal food. Yeah, in the future, instead of everything being processed and full of salt, everything is so nicely made that there's not enough salt. Hmm. I can see that. That would be a nice future. Yeah, so the odd thing is if, if, if Salt Vampire has just been subsisting on Doc Crater for months and months, there, is, there was a comment made in the, that, that Crater says in that briefing room saying, oh, no, no, when, when the creature is satisfied... It's perfectly docile. It's not dangerous to anybody. And yet, the second it gets more salt, it goes on a killing rampage that can't can't be sated. Yeah. Well, I mean, it evidently killed Nancy. Yeah. Yeah, but that's one person. Yeah. It how many people? How many people did it did it kill in this episode? Four. Hold on. Hold on. I took it down. Did you take Let's it down? Yeah, I did. It killed. It killed. The first guy, the first ensign. Uh, ensign Darnell. He was a blue shirt, if we're keeping track. Yeah, you got Darnell. Which, by the way, Darnell gets murdered, right? Yeah. And Kirk is all three to beam up. Does not mention one of the three is a corpse? That seems an unfair trick to play on the poor teleporter officer. I'd like to think Darnell was a close friend of his, and Kirk was really just... It's like, hey, hey, Doc, gonna <laughs> ruin this fuck's day. Oh. Yeah, no, three to beam up, me... McCoy and your best friend, Ensign Darnell. <laughs> oh, no. So we got him. Although that is where Uhura gets gets to jab at Spock, saying, "You, there's a corpse coming up and you don't even care who it is? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's Actually, that, I think that's later, because there is, is a later? later point where they beam up a corpse, and this time Kurt warns they them. They beamed up a lot of corpses. They did. Sturgeon and Green yeah. get killed was, later. There was one guy who was in that, like, space suity thing that he got, right? Yeah. The guy in, like, the hazmat-looking suit. Yeah, that's yeah. It. So it's unclear what department he was. Well, weird hazmat suit. He's probably an engineer. Probably engineer, a red shirt. Yeah. Uh, so that's see. four already. And then it got Crater. She kills Crater himself. So at the very least, that many. I don't know if I'm forgetting or missing anyone. It goes for Uhura, but yep. is it, ultimately and it, distracted. And it goes for Kirk. And yep. it and it lets Spock live, because Spock's salt comes from a different ocean than our salt. Yeah, it had different, somewhat different makeup. You think she could have sucked, like, half his blood, right? Because that's, that's totally no, one, how it works. One taste and you know. Yeah. Oh, not salty enough. Yeah, it's, like, oh, it's almost human salt, but not so it got four people, because I'm going to say that, that Salt Vampire probably killed Crater so that it, he wouldn't rat on it. Yeah. Maybe that's the other thing. Maybe, you know, it just started to lose its shit, because it was like, if they know, even from the offing, that I killed Nancy, they're not going to want to listen to reason, so I have to play this hiding game. That makes sense, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in the end, I really feel bad for McCoy in this situation. Yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, the standoff where he's like, no, Jim, don't kill her. Yeah. It's like he, he was out of the loop for most of the episode, yeah, had dude, no idea. What the hell kind of sleeping pills do they have in the future? The best. He was just knocked the fuck out. Well, I think the problem is you take one with water. He took one with a mint julep or saurian brandy or Romulan ale Why not or something. All three. <laughs> mm, I mean, yeah. The, the best mint juleps are actually made with Romulan ale and uh, Telosian mint. Sounds good to me. Yeah, why yeah. not? Telosian mint. You won't even see it's there. <laughs> I realize he says, that's not the aliens I wanted. Should have said Klingon. Klingon mint. Tastes like blood. <laughs> Just like everything from Kling- that miserable Klingon mint. planet. It is flesh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, Klingon mint is people? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Poor McCoy, though. You know, he he starts out, you know, thinking that he's sort of reconnected with this old flame, and and she comes on to him, and she comes on to him, and then basically spends the whole episode in varying states of, ooh, she still likes me. Ooh, we're gonna rekindle this thing, and then ooh, I get to save her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kirk's gone crazy. He's gonna kill my new girlfriend. <laughs> My oh, new, God, new... she's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> and he still thinks, do I kill her? Yeah, I mean, there was hesitation. <laughs> if she can look like Nancy. Especially ten years ago, Nancy. Mm. <laughs> Vintage Nancy. <laughs> I mean, Crater kind of is kind of a bummer for him, too. Because he's, he's sort of... I don't know, you were mentioning you know how he can rationalize evidently sleeping with this horrifying monster and you know i'm thinking well the horrifying monster did kill his wife yeah <laughs> but as a scientist he recognizes that it was not in control of its actions when it, it was did hungry that. it was hungry uh and, and it's it, the last of its species and that's that's a phenomenon you don't get to protect terribly often right no and i'd say actually if anything i feel like that angle especially for an archaeologist is uh potential he's supposed to build the civilization what well, he's he's there studying a lost civilization. Never occurred yeah, to me. Yeah, ruins. Were, were the salt monsters like? Did they have a golden age where they had buildings and shit made of salt? Well, that's what Everything I was thinking. Everything made of salt. Yeah, uh, that was my thought. Was that the ruins that they were 
investigating were the ruins of the salt monster civilization. Yeah. And that was that was sort of what I took oh, from that. I didn't think of that. Yeah, I only just thought of that right now. It hadn't even occurred to me. Like, cause they, I feel like that moment just feels... You forget about it because it's just sort of the excuse that that's why they're there, that you don't necessarily think of the larger implications of, wait a minute, who were these people? Were they the salt people? Were they someone else? And that, and, yeah, and that would add even more incentive scientifically uh, for Crater to want to save the, the monster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. See, I mean, it's also it's a professional interest. See, I immediately got hung up on the, you know, they're, they're going to do medical physicals on Dr. and Mrs. Crater. Mm. Why is this the Enterprise's job? Because they're just out there and they happen to have a doctor on board? Yeah, I think they meant that basically it's just that... They said this is part of our mission. Our mission statement includes, you know, find new worlds, uh, check out new species, provide physical exams. Well, I think they do say that it's something like basically he's on sort of a long-term... Like, yeah, it's their job to check on these sort of scientific outposts. Once a year. Yeah, something like that. And uh, they just happen to be the ship in the area that time. Now, what are the chances that the ship in the area has someone on the crew in a fairly high position that just happened to date the person the salt monster killed? Well, television. Oh, yeah. But the, the, the fact that they're there does make more sense than the fact that McCoy happens to be on the ship anyway. Now, if a Starfleet vessel has to drop by... Once a year to resupply, because that was that was also part of the. Oh, reason. I was thinking of this too. To resupply and to administer physicals, but Nancy's been dead for two years. What happened to the ship last year? Did they get? Well, was it actually every year? Did anybody actually I say thought, every I year? Kirk, they did. I'm we pretty say sure that. Kirk said, they did say you know, every year. It's, you know, Starfleet regulations. Well, you know how government is. It could just be the last ship. We're slackers. You know, they couldn't be bothered to actually, like, look, they like, look, we're in a rush. We're trying to get to the pleasure planet. Here's your box <laughs> of stuff. You two look great. Sounds good. Yeah. Crater mm. was way more adamant. No, no, we only need salt. You guys can go on your way. We're fine. And this crew was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Can't be fucked. Not paid enough. Does anybody have any theories about why Nancy called McCoy Plum? Oh, I, do, oh, I don't want to know. Because <laughs> I'm sure it's a weird sexual <laughs> I mean... He's got a weird scrotum? Yeah, I was just that's, thinking that's that. Like, like, like a that weird blue scrotum. <laughs> and for the salt vampire to go into probably McCoy's mind, maybe old Nancy's mind a year ago, and to know this is mm-hmm. really odd. I mean, even if... It, I kind of wonder if it was just like the writers fucked up and they, they confused like Georgia Peaches... With plums. Oh, yeah, Plum McCoy, because he's from the South. And like, wait, what? And no one corrected it or... Oh, that's an interesting... I like that theory. I mean, it just... I mean, I'm sure, honestly, it was just saying we need a... Yeah. Affectionate nickname. That sounds funny. It will make Doc go, don't ask, or I'll fill a hypo full of poison and jam it in your eye, Spock. By which I mean make you look at my plum-like scrotum, <laughs> apparently. There you go. Oh, God. I accept your headcanon, Jake. I like that. That's good. I don't want to Sucker think of Dr. McCoy's scrotum. Sucker monsters and plum scrotums. Oh. <laughs> well, speaking of, of of botany, we get to see some some addition, some new plants and stuff. 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah, this is what you want to talk about last week. Yeah, uh, oh my gosh, I love... Uh, the botany lab with Sulu and uh, Yeoman Rand. I loved the the plant, the big Beauregard. pink plant. Beauregard, who was obviously just someone who had their hand in like a pink glove with oh, some Oh, they frills. certainly did. It was great, I really liked that. I thought it was actually pretty effective. Apparently the person controlling the, the Beauregard puppet also got to feel up Rand a little bit. Really? Yeah. What? That's, that's, what, that's what the internet tells me. God, poor... What's Janice Rand's real name? Grace Lee Whitney. Thank you. I, I also kind of like I'm watching that scene and I'm just like did whoever wrote this scene like just think man I love the Adams family I want a version of the greenhouse from that but in this science fiction show yeah I don't yeah it does sort of stand out uh, amongst other well, it's, like you see these little things in these episodes that it feels like maybe they're trying things out and a lot of them you never see again and I'm okay with that mm-hmm. like I'm okay that as far as I remember we never see Beauregard or the Botany Lab again. Oh, that's a shame. I love Beauregard. He's my favorite I character. I love Beauregard too. Yeah. <laughs> now, was it ever said that that was the Botany Lab, or was that just like think... Sulu's personal <laughs> garden? No, I think I think his apartment is just full of creepy plants. I think they do cut at one point to a sign that does say it's like actually a Botany Lab. I think they were trying to actually explain why Sulu had been head of biosciences previously, and now he's the pilot. Yeah. Like he's kind of kept up with he's that. Like, he's like he's like a hobbyist. Yeah, the head of biosciences is just like a hobbyist gardener. Well, maybe he was like you know that was actually his main job. And he realized pilot paid better, and he's like fuck it. Mm. But yeah, he still kind of can't help but occasionally poke the plants. Like, I mean, he how made, you doing, Beauregard? He's good yeah. friends with Beauregard, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did how did Beauregard like Beauregard responded to the creature being there? Yes, it did. Like like a dog would would respond to like something ha- like a triple <laughs> to a Klingon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. True. Our guard dog Beauregard. Maybe mm. maybe Beauregard was the kind of plant that the sucker monsters used to subsist on. Yeah. Hey, no. I, I wouldn't look too deeply into that. Because, you know, it's a fairly <laughs> standard thing to make it so that you know non-humans are always more aware yeah, of, just... of dangerous stuff than actual humans yeah. are. Like, that's animals a, that's really, a trope. Yeah, animals just sense evil. Yeah. Uh, I think Beauregard's just a spacist. Yeah, Beauregard scored very high on his uh, ESP. His or her ESP. Oh, yeah. and that's why he had the... the his and her. The tinfoil eyes, point. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He just couldn't see them. <laughs> I, I also, I, this is one thing, I kind of wish there'd been a line where Sulu's like, who the fuck's been eating my celery? Because when, when Rand is on her way to botany with Sulu's celery and food cubes... she's and salt. Yeah, she's chewing on one of them. She was. Yeah. And she gets there, and not only are they now all intact, I think there's more. Um, and Sulu doesn't seem to notice that one of them has been half-eaten. What was the red stuff on the celery? Oh, I think it was make it look like space, space celery. celery yes. <laughs> I, I was that, I was thinking that too. I'm like, what the fuck is she eating? Is that just is that celery? What That's Beauregard butter. Put on it? <laughs> Beauregard butter. Mm. But yeah, yeah, the food cubes looked tasty. They looked like Jolly Ranchers or something. They, yeah, they little, will continue to show up. Yeah. I know that. Like, I'm like, oh, it's the first appearance of the friggin' weird food cubes. Yeah, Kirk got to gnaw on some of them in the middle of a scene. <laughs> yeah, like, he's just hanging out on the bridge, like, yeah, and he gives it off to, like, some yeoman. That's, I noticed that, too. There's like, eating on the bridge, and he kept, he kept having a paper cup of coffee. And they, they were really big on this idea of, like, and I appreciate it, but it is one of those things that kind of drifted off. They wanted to establish, like, yeah, these are, these are people. They have normal sort of, you know. We still have coffee in yeah, the future. Big 
ugly paper cups of them. He has a paper cup of coffee at one point in Charlie X as well, but I forget when exactly. Well, of course, it's it's not real paper because they stopped, you know, cutting down trees for that use well, sure, ages sure. ago. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's replicated, it's, you know. Well, I think at this point it's not replicators, but it's... They've got some Some thing. sort of synthesis of Yeah, they materials. never explicitly state what it is, but they do well, have something. You no, know, they have it set to retro, so it looks, you know, instead of having like a nice space mug, it's space paper cup. Yeah. Yeah, really, it would be great if it was the paper cup that had the, the hand of poker on it. You ever see, you ever see that? No. <laughs> yeah. You ever had one of those? No. Oh, they, used to, I, they used to be, I feel like they came out of vending machines. Like, have you ever had one of those coffee vending machines or drop the drop cup the cup down? and then fill it with coffee? Some, I remember there used to be somewhere, like, there would be, like, four cards on it. And then the, and it was always, like, it was always the same four cards. It's probably the, the dead man's hand. But the bottom had a, <laughs> the bottom of the cup had just one more, like, X oh, of funny. diamonds or whatever had one extra card, so you could play poker with your friend huh. by looking at the bottom of your cup. I've seen and those like cups, pouring coffee but, on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I'd seen those cups, but I didn't know about the secret card in the base. Yeah. Well, not many people do. Now mm. we're gonna have to kill you. I guess. Oh, fudge. Everyone and everybody me. else. Mm. So speaking of paper cups and Charlie X, do we want to travel into the next episode here? Or? Two two things we're going to wrap up. Because they, right. they didn't directly relate to anything, but I just wanted to mention them. All right. One, uh, to put on the nerdiest of nerd glasses, Spock here claims that Vulcan has no moons. In the motion mm-hmm. picture, it has like two or three. Yeah. So, what the fuck, guys that made the motion picture? <gasps> Did you not watch every single episode first? That's why Nicholas Meyer made a better movie. I think it's also sort of Fuzzy cannon. Yeah, I know, but I just wanted to. I wanted to be that level of pedant right now. Yeah, yeah. don't don't get into get in a conversation with Jake on cannon. We'll never make it out. No, no, I, I think it's an interesting conversation we should have one day. Uh, also, this one only tangentially related, but I had to mention it because they do. They have this moment where they're getting messages from Space Commander Jose Dominguez, which first of all. I fucking love that title. I wish Space Commander had remained a rank in Star Trek. <laughs> Sounds like a video game. But, so the thing is, they kind of start does. off, and they're like, oh yeah, Space Commander Dominguez, he's wondering where we are, you know, who are with our shipment. And at first it's like, oh, look at that. We've got, you know, it's like, it's in a very matter-of-fact way, we've got a, a very, sounds like a high-ranking Hispanic member of Starfleet, treated very matter-of-factly, you know, good on you. But then they felt like, People might not get that Space Commander Dominguez is Hispanic. How do we really hammer oh, this home? Oh, yeah. And then Kirk's like, <laughs> tell Jose, because that was the only Hispanic name they knew. Tell Jose we're on our way. We'll be on our way. That's more Zap Brannigan than Shatner. Anywho, <laughs> he's all like, we're on our way. We've, we've got his chili peppers. It's like... I handpicked them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, Jesus, the his, best you could do to... Wasn't it like Mexican something peppers? Mexican reds, Mexican, I think he calls Mexican them. jumping peppers? <laughs> but it's <laughs> just like... Mexican it's one of those things where like, you right started here. off so strong, but then to try to make your point, you just veered off <laughs> into... Tell Jose I've got his serapes and ponchos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. And, and you could say that, like, at the time, you know, most Americans probably, their exposure and understanding of... Mexican culture might extend to like, well, they like peppers and spicy foods and they're called Jose. Yeah. But I, I mean, it, don't get <laughs> me wrong, it could have been awful, but it is still just, it's one of those things that, you know, at the time maybe it worked, but now you're just like, <laughs> really, this is the best you could. I mean, thank God he didn't mention siestas, I guess. Mm. <laughs> uh, 
God. Yeah, I mean that's all. I, since I couldn't really find a way to organically work them in, so I think I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jam it in really awkwardly at the end. Oh that's what my. she he said. Oh. That's what Salt oh Vampire my. said. That's what Crater that, said. That's what Charlie X said. Oh, that is what Charlie of. X said. Speaking of Charlie X, oh, I enjoyed Charlie X thoroughly. First Star Trek episode written by a woman. Was oh, I didn't I know, know that? that. Yeah, I think I believe so. Oh, no D- wonder it was D- so... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, DC Fontana. I think this was the first uh, episode that she wrote. She has a long association, ultimately, with Star Trek, right? Yeah, she wrote a bunch of... Um, Did she write Tribbles? No. I don't know if she wrote Tribbles. She wrote a couple... Of, she wrote a few more uh, TOFs episodes, um, and she wrote uh, a couple of TNG, like, first season episodes. I can't remember offhand any of the other episodes she's written, but... They're all pretty decent. Mm. Didn't she write a couple of books too, or did she just consult on like those sort of novelty coffee table Star Trek history? Books I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure she's 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 pretty prolific and you know fairly involved with Star Trek in general. So I wouldn't be surprised if she'd written other stuff. Did she go by her initials to hide her gender? I believe uh, so. Probably yeah, probably in the future. I, I know way way in the future when we're talking DS Nine. Like that is that is a sci-fi written thing because sci-fi fans don't want to read stuff written by. Been. Yeah, I actually heard her speak uh, once at a convention in the early 90s. And, you know, I was too young to really appreciate her speech, but I do remember one of the things about, that she was saying was that you know, she went by DC because it, was, it wouldn't have been uh, regarded well for, for a woman to be a writer on a network show like that. And that a lot of people, when it came out much later that, that she was a woman, a lot of people were very uh, surprised. That. But yeah, Charlie X. I, I don't know. I think that's Charlie X is one of the classic. It's one of those ones where like if you go up to like a very casual Star Trek fan who's maybe seen a few episodes, they'll be like, "Oh, the one where the guy steals the woman's face off." You know, or <laughs> oh, which it, was really creepy. Super creepy. She super could still scary. make noise too. Yeah. Well, yeah. evidently it was just like he just added an f- extra layer of skin over her face or something. You would suffocate to death. Yeah, I do space magic. It doesn't actually surprise me that this episode was written by a woman. Actually, it doesn't. It doesn't. Mm. Um, one because I can almost see her drawing from like real experiences of someone being a creepy stalker asshole, particularly where she was a science fiction writer when women weren't writing science fiction. Like you kind of, I would could imagine that she may have had run-ins with like fanatical fanboys who were like, you know, I really feel like you get me. Obviously, I don't know anything about her, so it's just conjecture. But it, it's also just, I'm guessing that if experience of yesteryear were not so different from today. Probably worse. It, I was going to say, at least not, like, more positive. Yeah, I did I did write down that I think Charlie is one of our first examples of a men's rights activist. <laughs> ah! <laughs> but probably not our last. Oh, that, I, they, the actor they picked for that, he just, like, again, this show, when it needs a creep, it is <laughs> so good at finding someone who's just can radiate creep at such levels. Oh, you know what's what's really fascinating? I didn't write down the actor's name. Yes, I did. I wrote down uh, Charlie's name, uh, played by Robert Walker Jr. Um, and what they did, what, what he did a lot to, to help Method act was he didn't converse or hang out with the rest of the cast, like, at all, so that he would feel so isolated whenever he'd get into his shots. And, and good on him. Yeah, I, I read that same thing today because I looked him up because I was like, so he's supposed to be 17. He looks like he's probably 35. 35 yeah. He was, he was 26, 26. So sorry about that. 26 <laughs> and what, smoking like six packs a day though? Like he just looked... Well, I mean, to, to his credit, his voice, he didn't sound like a heavy smoker. 
He'd also been alone on a planet for, what, 12 years? Well, not years? alone. He was raised by... Weird by Wizard of Oz heads. heads and, yeah, the Thasians. Yes. Um, who evidently taught him how to use superpowers. Yeah, and here's where I have lots of very, very things, very interesting things that I don't know if you guys are going to find interesting, but I find fascinating on the character of Charlie Wa- of, uh, Charlie Evans, Evans, is that when they first pick him up, they assume he's been alone, just entirely alone. They they, they don't know the Thasians definitely exist. Uh, they, they're just a mythological species yeah. that may or may not exist. So they think that dear Charlie has been raised by the ship's computer. Except Spock. What does Spock think again? Spock, actually, it's easy to miss because it's a quick little thing and they, he gets sort of immediately shushed. But Spock, fa- you know, interestingly enough, this, this <laughs> super logical dude... It seems to be, like, all about believing in this race that everyone else thinks is mythical. Hmm. Like, there's a line that's like, well, you know, they do say this planet is like, shut the fuck up, Spock. And it's like, it's weird to think that Spock, this, you know, the, the Vulcan, is sort of, has this sort of, he basically seems to believe in the space equivalent of, like, the Loch Ness Monster or something. But guess what? Motherfucker's right. Well, yeah. it makes sense, sort of sense, though. It's like like Occam's razor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it literally makes no sense for, like, a three-year-old, because that's how old he was, yeah. to be able to, like, live on his own. Like, maybe the, the next logical leap isn't the, what are they, Thasians? Thasians. But, like, oh, well, the ship's replicator can only make food for a year. Oh, so he just started fucking digging for roots and berries when he was four? Yeah, I'm sure that happened. No, that didn't happen. Oh, he taught himself, like, how to make his own clothes. He taught himself how to know how human culture works. Mm. I mean, that's... Well, let's be fair, the Thasians didn't do a great job of that either. Well, he knows more than... Way more than he should. True. Like, he knows... Like, he, he sees... Dear, poor dear Rand says, uh, is that a woman? And believe me, Charlie, uh, you never forget your first. Girl. <laughs> girl. Yeah, she gets promoted to girl? woman later in the episode. Yeah, is that a girl? It takes them a while yes, to further her a girl. Woman. I don't know, my, 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 I think perhaps, you know, th- this is this is probably the episode where some of the, the, the Star, Star Trek humor really kind of comes of, it, of its own. Mm. The, the scene where Kirk attempts to explain to Charlie how <laughs> yes. to behave around women. Why you don't slap ladies why, on the ass. There's them. no right way to hit a woman. <laughs> but does pat on the ass st- uh, still count as a good way to hit a woman? Well, apparently not in the 23rd century. Apparently uh, not. Especially not a, a woman that you do not have any uh, connection to or, or permission from to touch, period. Mm. I mean, really, Charlie just is like... I mean, he sees the crewmen goofing around and slapping each other on the ass. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently, evidently, grab ass amongst men is still a, a, a thing. Well, I actually stopped. We stopped and went back because I'm like, did he just? Did he just slap him on the ass? Like, <laughs> like they're on a football team. Yeah, like, they're in the locker room on? together. These are all like military dudes, you know. Here's what I love about that scene too, by the way. Is, is, you know, this is the point where they have a little montage of Charlie just kind of walking around being a close talker and otherwise creeping out people <laughs> on the ship. And, like, he comes out of that Jeffrey's tube first. So he's just been kind of up behind them watching them do stuff. And they both get out, and the one that got slapped on the ass, he just kind of stands like, oh, hi. Like, he hadn't noticed Charlie <laughs> in this miniature space. <laughs> like, how did you not see? Did you not hear him mouth-breathing? Because I'm sure he was mouth-breathing. <laughs> oh, no. 
I, I actually thought that the... I actually... So, like, this, this episode made me, like... It, it had like a lot of really great moments that I really enjoyed. And one of those moments, as you were saying about the like birds and the bees talk between Kirk and Charlie. So like, in spite of like Yeoman Rand, uh, you know, she's, Oh, she's a girl, not a woman. And like, you know, this weird stalkery thing that was happening. And Oh, later on when she's like telling Kirk about her, like concerns he's kind of being like patronizing like oh yeah they're there i'll talk to him boys will be boys Mm. this birds and the bees talk to me was like kind of the one moment where i was like okay this is pretty forward thinking because kirk's like you know you have to make sure that the woman is interested you can't be forceful you have to like be gentle and make sure that they're like basically to me it sounded like you have to make sure there's consent and that the other person is interested and that was like to me was really surprising especially when put up with these other decidedly not very feminist whatever things that were happening yeah yeah i mean i think you know the thing throughout the episode it was very clear that nobody thought that charlie was behaving appropriately like i I think the message was clearly you know this this is not yeah. okay. And I think that people were... I think the idea was that the people on the ship were trying to kind of give him a little extra slack. Right. Um, Kirk yeah. Kirk overdoes it, though. Yeah, I mean, I think he at does. At the point where he blows up the Antares and basically admits to it, everyone else is rightfully horrified. And Kirk is like, well, you know, he doesn't know how to people yet. And he's just like... Okay, Kirk, you murdered your best friend for less. Would you put this boy in a torpedo tube and hit mm-hmm. fire already? Yeah, and I, I and I do think I think Kirk perhaps you know because of the way he does the birds and the bees talk, I, I think that he almost feels a, a parental sort of obligation towards this. Kid. Well, that I mean, Bones keeps telling him like you've got to be his father figure for some reason. And he does. I mean, in does, addition yeah. to the birds and the bees, so he also has that that weird sparring scene. Oh yeah. God! Like, with, let's go to the gym and play with the levers. <laughs> look, look, this is television in the '60s. I can't just tell you to go jerk off. So we're gonna go have judo. But I'm gonna well, be shirtless. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of an interesting inconsistency as well because he starts out in his fat day shirt. Yes, the first appearance of the shirtle. The, the shirtle. I was so excited. Yep, and and then he's like he's like shirtless later. So you're kind of like Kirk, you having a fat day or not? Because you look like you're really you're pretty naked. For oh someone God. who's feeling a little. While well, I'm thinking chunky. of this, there's a scene where he's with you know he's with Charlie in the hall and they're having an awkward conversation and he's in the standard yellow shirt. This is right before the Antares gets blown up. Mm-hmm. And you know when he's called to the bridge, it's urgent. It's the Antares. Like I'll be right there. He gets to the bridge and he's back in the shirtle. I saw that and it's too. Like, yeah. Did you did you stop to change? <laughs> Also, it seems like it maybe wasn't quite... His shirt wasn't quite ready? Because in that same scene, you can see the zipper going, like, all the way down the side. Uh, See, I got really hung up on McCoy's shirt in this episode because it looks so baggy on him. That's you'll see scrubs. Yeah, Yeah, that's his. That's his scrub shirt. He wears that a lot. He wears that a lot? Yeah, that's... uh, It's actually... He's the only... It's interesting because they've always sort of tried to imply that it was sort of a, a colored shirt over a black t-shirt like in in the man trap at one point bones is in a bed and his uniform shirt's off so he's just in a black t-shirt but it's always plainly just been that there's like a black collar sewn in they even if you look in one of them some of the collars have different amounts of black collar sewn in to make it look like 
I don't know why they bothered. What does it matter? Hmm. But McCoy, I think, is the only one in the original series who ever actually did really have a shirt over a black shirt, and it was when he was in his, like, Scrubs, Scrubs yeah. shirt. I think he only ever wears it on the ship. I don't think he yeah, ever wears it. Yeah, he could be wrong. Missions, I'm pretty sure he wears it's a proper, yeah. regular, regular uniform. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, get used to that shirt. It's going to show up a lot. <laughs> oh, joy. What about uh, Uhura's song in the break room? Oh, Her, like, fantastic improvisational mm. songs with Spock. Well, right. Well, the first one, she's teasing Spock again. Um, and, like, I love how the, the, like, in the establishing of that scene, you know, Spock's there playing his lyre or whatever it is. She starts singing and he, immediately he gets that he, like, looks, he's just, like, dagger eyes. Like, he's so angry that, like, he's trying to play his little, his little harp and she starts singing. <laughs> how dare he's I like, have accompaniment? Ah. But then, like, he, he's like, fine, I'll accompany you. You know, like, and he yearns a little, so he's into it. Yeah, I mean, he he does, and then and then she sort of does this kind of weird little seductiony bit yeah. where she's like the, the Charlie X yeah. is our new dar- Charlie's our new darling. Bit. Yeah, and he and he wants to get his his uh, touch on with uh, with Janice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. is like Haha, wink. You wink. can tell Janice was really uncomfortable yeah. with that too. Thanks, thanks, Amora. I tried to pawn him off on the younger Yaoman, but no. Oh, God, yeah, oh, that yeah, poor thing. Poor girl, what was man. her name? Tiffany? I can't even remember. <laughs> like she that. had a name. It was some yeah. teen name. But he's just like, can I talk to you alone? And she's like, I'm sure someone wants me. <laughs> or I'm sure I'm needed somewhere. She says something, something like, like that. that. Some yeah. like really dramatic, like which was actually perfect because... They're supposed to be the same age. Yeah. That's what I would expect yeah. from... Although, like, Janice... An angsty enlisted teenager? Janice, wh- what did this woman do to you? It's like, here, I- I've got this creeper flying around. You be his friend. I'm trying to mm. throw him off the scent. Have this yeoman. <laughs> really, like... Well, yeah, I mean, I think at first, though... Well, this is I before think, he's gone full. Yeah, I think the idea is that, you know, Janice was like, basically, yeah, this this guy's weird, but he's just awkward. You know, he's an awkward, yeah. hormonal he's 17, teenager. and I'm literally the first woman he ever saw. Right. So, you know, so I think her pushing him off onto the other yeoman was more of a legitimate effort to be like, look, you know, you might actually get along with this girl. She might like you. And, She's and your age. This is, this, is a good, this is a good setup. Yeah. I, I don't think it really became clear, possibly even until that, in that very scene, oh, God. just how friggin' messed up Charlie was. When he's yeah. like, I'm hungry. Yeah. I'm hungry. All over. All over. <laughs> I mean, to their credit, that does sound like someone who's never experienced arousal before. Like, if they don't have the vocabulary set, mm. they might Burning and hunger and yeah, and I remember like my pants are small. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those moments where if it was like consensual, this like almost I don't want to say like poetic, but it is almost poetic thing might have been like if like she was his girlfriend and he was just being oh and I just like really want you and all this shit that she might be like okay. But since it was this, like, really weird stalkery relationship, she was just, like, fucking horrified, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I also, oh, I, too, I, too, hours was horrified. Each other. Yeah. See, oh, I thought you meant hours into his litany about how much he wants to <laughs> put her in the bone zone. 
See, he should have waited till he had that sweet buckskin shirtle jacket. Because, you know, like, he shows up, he's in that awful, like, leftover uniform yeah. from the pilot. Where do you get that coat? I, it's a great I wonder, coat. I wonder where Why does no one else Listen, want the cool when coat? the Listen, when the card tricks fail, you gotta ramp it up oh, to they were so beautiful cool, doe skin. Where did he get those creepy gra- glamour shots of her? That was, like, the worst thing. his mind. Watch yeah, me doing this sweet them. trick. Do you like these pictures of you? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't get like you know because it was obviously incredibly impressive that he turned these cards into photos of yeah. Rand, but no one like people just were like, "Wow, that's a great trick." Yeah, no one's like, "That's fucking impossible. That is literally yeah. impossible." How did that card get in her shirt? This is not a matter yeah. of a good magic trick. Yeah, this no, is this something is... fucking impossible. I said happened. the same thing to her. It's like I don't think micro transporters existed in the Star Trek universe at this point. Yeah, well, like getting the card to materialize in her shirt in the twenty fourth century—that's one thing. In the twenty third, not quite. Well, I mean, a good magician even now could get a card into her shirt. But sure, he literally but... doesn't touch her once during that whole scene. That's well, that's sleight of, of hand. Sleight of hand. That's really slight. No. He did. Yeah. Apparently he did it with his wiener or something. Exactly. But yeah, no, I really, like, no one, on, and Spock, I think, was still there. Even he should have just been like, excuse me. Not, <laughs> not, even a, not even a twitch of the of one of his fantastic eyebrows mm. thing. The eyebrows are much better now. Yeah, they do look nice. And 3D chess? We saw 3D chess? Right, yeah, more 3D, 3D chess. 3D checkers? Yep, lower left-hand okay. corner of the screen, you can see it at yeah, one point. Yeah, I, I noticed okay. it. I have to say, I actually thought that I thought that scene was interesting because like Spock beats him at 3D chess in like two moves, and he starts to flip out. And I thought for sure that what we had seen was Charlie trying to mind control him, but not being able to, because he sort of looked like, "Urgh, you know, it wasn't a mistake. It's not checkmate." And then he kind of looks a little like surprised slash taken mm-hmm. aback. And I know because later he like apparently fucking knocks Spock into a wall and breaks his legs. So I know that his powers are actually able to be used against Spock, but at first I thought, oh, you can't fuck with Spock because he's got Vulcan brain. No, no, see what he did in that, he wasn't attacking Spock, he melted Spock's chest No, but he does that after he leaves. Is that after? Yeah, Yeah, he he does does it after he leaves. Because Spock walks out and is like, you know, if you're going to act like a fucking baby, I'm not playing you in chess. Hmm. I thought it was more like, I already whipped your ass, bitch. Let me go yeah. see if I can find someone else. I, I think I think the idea was that, you know, I think that unlike Kirk, who would somewhat indulge Charlie and, like, try to use things as a learning experience, Spock is like, if you want to play chess with me, I'll play chess with you. But if you act like a jerk and fuck up the game and are, and are a sore loser, then I'm not going to play with you. Yeah. And that's exactly what Spock did. As, as well, you shouldn't. Exactly. You know, Kirk, Kirk gives the boy entirely too much leeway. Like, oh, yeah. Totally. He, he waits until shit has gone far too wrong. And again, I just feel like someone should have been like, you know, maybe spotting, like, you know, Jim, same thing happened with Mitchell. Hmm. Well, this, bo- this boy is an entirely unknown quantity. Like, the fact that, you know, he was supposed to be alone for years and years and years. And even even if you think he's been with the with the Thasians for years and years and years. I, I was looking up, because I find fascinating the, the concept of feral children. Mm. And I was I was uh, rewatching a documentary on feral children uh, called uh, Wild Child: The Story of Feral Children the other day because I find this stuff fascinating and there's no way really to study them because you can't just go abuse your own children. Not anymore, anyway. Not anymore. In the 19th century, that would have flown. I don't even know, but it's it's the kind of stuff where you find trace examples of through like severe child neglect. Like, they have a child that 
they keep locked in a room and they never talk to and they never communicate with and they never provide physical touch. And it's the physical touch thing sometimes that makes them, like, say, go want to hang out with dogs and be raised by wolves or what have you. And it's the, the ability to communicate with other people that may make them what we think of as people. There was one quote I like that I wrote down from that documentary that says, um, if you weren't brought up by humans, are you completely human? <laughs> and I really, really wonder sometimes, like, how does this, how does this uh, portray Charlie? Because Charlie is someone who, even if he was brought up by whatever the Thasians are, because the Thasian, specifically when he beams himself, beams an image of himself on the ship, says, oh, we're using an old image of ourselves from before we evolved out of the need for physical bodies so that you guys won't flip out to see that we literally are just what energy balls mm, probably star trek loves are. energy ball people. yeah i mean it's so so sad for charlie that he gets sent back because he'll never experience any any of this again yeah well he says that, that that's actually it they can't even have, touch they can't is even what they touch. say yeah and it's like he's not he's not a terribly sympathetic character but in that moment i mean obviously but in that moment, you do really feel like, oh, fuck, can you just turn his magical powers off? Like, you gave him these powers. Can you just take, no, take them back? No, they say they can't. No? They say they can't turn them off. Do they actually say that? Though? I'm pretty sure they don't. I wasn't they sure do. they actually, like, said that. They I said, he said we they, can't take them they away. They said he will keep using them. He mm. said, like, he will he, not, he not stop using yeah. them. We but gave I, the power he'll I mean, they could, have, they could have viewed that as... They, they've given him some kind of insane level of power, and they could have viewed taking that away as being, like, too cruel. Hacking off my legs or something hmm. from their perspective. Yeah, it's the only way that he could have survived, because, you know, these these energy creatures, they couldn't feed him. They probably, like, just make food appear to, using these powers so that yeah. he could eat food. They, you know, give him things to do. Food. He could have made his own food this way. He made turkeys, certainly, yeah. for Space the, Thanksgiving. The which, turkeys were... And I, like, I love that little, like, chortle that he did with yeah. him, like, yeah. he's like, gotcha. That, that was a good reaction. That is but very 17-year-old. Like, but were they, like, alive turkeys? Were they not I, alive turkeys well, we that were know. plucked I'm, and ready I'm for guessing, stuffing? I'm like, guessing what's they the deal with these turkeys? turkeys? I really I hope wish... So. I, I wish that, in fact, it had been, and, like, for the remainder of the episode, you would just randomly see turkeys go by. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, Kirk walks on the bridge mound down a turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> or it's, like, the trouble with triplets. He goes to sit down, and there's a turkey in his chair, and like, <laughs> Charlie! Yeah, I don't know. I, I That end where, you know, he has to go back, the, the just... The act, I gotta give the actor a lot of credit for yeah. for how he pulled off that, that horror, that horror mm. of... Uh, you know, oh, oh no! They don't found don't, me. don't send me back! Don't make me go back! It's I'll so be sad. good, I promise. It's like, oh god! I don't even think so Kirk sorry. or anyone on the Enterprise would be able to prevent them from taking him back. Oh god! Because no. it's no. you know, it's don't let them have me. What are they supposed to do? Hang on, real tight. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think whatever they use for transporting can be blocked by shields. Well, yeah, considering the transporting was literally like in the case of. Janice and uh, the the wrestling guy Sam, I think. Yeah, oh, Sam. poor Sam. Were like there. They were literally just beamed to presumably an alternate dimension or something. Yeah, know? I mean Sam's fine because they do say everything. Everything's bad. bad. Everybody is as it I mean, was. The Antares is blown up because somehow Charlie knew exactly what thing to make disappear. Well, he'd already seen that there was a busted something or other on the engine. How do you see a that? warped something? Yeah, something. Some, something. He must have uh, just. Well, it could have been. A, it could have been something in the engine room. Alternately, I wouldn't think it's actually that big of a stretch that he can see things just by 
look through walls and stuff. Yeah, you know, he can probably astrally project. He's a little, he's a little bit Gary Mitchell in this regard. T- tiny bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do like how, you know, he's capable of destroying a starship from presumably light years away. Uh, with his mind, and yet Kirk and Spock think they can just put him in a jail cell, and yeah. that's gonna that's gonna block him. And I like how he doesn't just like open the door; he like literally yeah, makes the bulkhead disappear. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> your wall! <laughs> I mean, it, it made the point very strongly. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a hormonal teenager. No walls Char- can hold. Charlie is uh, he is one for the dramatic. I yeah. thought it was really funny. I was like, I actually was like, what the, what the fuck did he do? Because I, I thought that he had, like, transported them into the room with him at, at first. Like, I was really confused by what I was seeing. Thankfully, Chris was there to be like, he, he removed the wall. I was like, oh, pretty blonde. Pretty blonde. I do uh, I do like the plan they cooked up, though. I think that was clever. Which plan was this? The, um, Trick him just, to just walk overload into... him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty... You know, like, like Kirk puts together, like, it's kind of been a while since he disappeared anybody. Maybe he's running out of juice, which, hell of a gamble, but like he that said. Is. Considering they know nothing about Thasians. Yeah, but. I mean, but, I, and I don't know, but I, I mean, it was a cool plan, but did it actually, do we know if it actually worked? I mean, it sort of worked, but it's, at the same time that the Thasians showed up yeah. right then. I'm, I'm sure, sure it wouldn't com- have worked for long. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah, the communication was able to come through, because I think. They had seen that there was someone was trying to communicate with them, That's and it true, wasn't yeah. able to get through before. So I think that mm. you know, oh, it allowed the thing making everything overload that they were finally able to get the communication through. Oh, the the the, the poems that that he made Spock recite. Yes, Those we get our great. We get some poem. Yeah, some Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, we get Nevermore was there. Yeah. Uh, uh, tiger, tiger, burning bright. Some, wasn't there some T. S. Eliot or something? Is that Elliot? No, that's not Elliot. That's I don't, I don't know poetry. I was going to say, let's just start naming poets. It was, <laughs> Those are the Whitman, only two poets I know. Walt yeah. Whitman. Um, Emily Dickinson, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wrote the theme to Gilligan's Island. Yeah, it was really good. It, it, you can you can basically... Because Gilligan, the theme of Gilligan's Island is based on a specific American tune that was used for a lot of hymns. Mm-hmm. A lot of Dickinson's poems were written to that tune, so a lot, if not all, of Dickinson's poems can be sung to the theme from Gilgan's Island. Oh, that's exactly. good. Not stop fantastic. and wait for death. He merely stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. We're gonna have singing on every episode, aren't we? At this rate. Sorry. Oh shoot, we haven't mentioned Red Foreman. We said we we're gonna mention him every time. There we go. Red Foreman. <laughs> Red Foreman. There you go. I was hoping it'd be more organic, but there Make it is. Your ass for a hat. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> was was there uh, any other any other thoughts or things? I mean, the one thing that I was thinking, because Star Trek fans historically love bottle episodes, would you guys consider this one a bottle episode? What is a bottle episode? A bottle episode. Uh, it was actually coined uh, via Star Trek as a the ship in a bottle kind kind of episodes where they don't they don't take place outside of the ship. They kind of use all pre existing sets so that it uses a lot less budget and that way they can save some budget for more expensive episodes if they need to so they say oh well we'll just all hang out in the ship for one episode we'll all just use use this as an excuse for character development amongst ourselves and that way we 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 learn more and we save money see i don't know if this would necessarily qualify because i guarantee this was not a cheap episode because there are a ton of special effects. Mm. Uh, the makeup. We do have we do have an out, an outsider on board. Yeah, too. there were several brand new sets. The brig was new. The Jeffrey's tube was new. 
I think even though we'd seen the a, gym was new, gym was new, and even though I think we'd seen a break room before, I think this was a new break room. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it may have been a redress of the conference room. Yeah, I think you're right, uh, and that might. For all I know, that's the break room is always a redress of the uh, the conference room, except when the little when the little cafeteria doors are in there. Oh, I forgot about those. But but yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of new sets. Uh, there were some probably expensive special effects. What with the um, the makeup job on the the disappearing face girl. Oh, and actually the woman, oh, I guess the woman that they made old, they just got they an just old got woman. An old woman. <laughs> just kidding, yeah. I was like, yeah, and that was, oh, an old woman. They didn't have to get an iguana, though. She did have heads on, that woman. I, one of the, because uh, I thought once you got to the sort of proper production, I no woman so ever wore pants, yeah. but here was at least one. Hmm. They weren't going to put that old lady in a miniskirt. Let the woman have her dignity, for Christ's sake. Oh, God, that was probably the reason, too. Yeah, it probably was. I also feel like she may have been in a leftover pilot uniform, because I think it was the more mustardy yellow Hmm. than the yellow we get from here on out, but I could be wrong. Maybe. I didn't check. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I I think it was probably... A costly episode just because of all the new stuff, but... Too early to have what one would uh, discern as a bottle episode? Perhaps. Yeah, and I think... But I think that, you know, now they have those sets, yeah. so... I think Enemy Within, which we'll be talking about next time... <laughs> oh, God, is probably, it? Probably counts Poor as... Poor Yeoman Rand. Oh, no. <laughs> I will say, you know, we think, you know, this... So this, like you said, despite the fact that we've actually talked about several episodes at this point... This was actually the larger public's first exposure to Star Trek. And, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like it was a really strong uh, foot to lead with. You know, the, These first two episodes? Well, you just... Well, just the, oh, yeah, this is the second one. This yeah. is the Man Trap. But, yes, Man Trap was also, I think, yeah. I think they... This was a good double lead up, yes. Yeah. yeah. I'd be into little, it. A little heavy on the mental powers, but... little. But, yeah, like we said, the first four, you know, the... the yeah, that seems like something that they were... They really hung up on. Like, was that just becoming a thing where people just starting to, like, buy into the the, the ESP thing? Like, well, we talked about because hippies, this last week, I no, think. No, I know, but, like, that must be it, right? I mean... Something. Or, I don't, again, I don't know enough about the history of these things. There could have been just a movie at the time that had yeah. dealt with that and was really popular. Mm. I should have looked it up. I didn't. Yeah, I, you know, speaking, going back to this being a strong uh, opener for Star Trek, I, you know, because you know, a lot of times, you always think of Star Trek as especially... Original series is being very hit and miss with, mm. with the quality episodes, but so far, you know, these episodes I think have all been really great. You know, and maybe you know the quality doesn't really, I don't think, drop off until third season. Yeah, um, third season is infamous, and I think that's the one I've seen the least of. Yeah, uh, and there's some there's there's some stinkers on the way too, but you know, so far, first season is. I think been very strong. Well, when we were looking ahead, you know, we were making sure that Netflix and the DVD set I have use the same order, so that if it didn't, we could pick one. Looking through, and it turns out, listeners, they do line up. The front, the first scene is really it's like it's front loaded, in retrospect, with a lot of the episodes that I think people would consider must sees of TOS. Like mm. it's, I'm just kind of like, shit, what, what the fuck else is there after this season? I. Chekhov shows up, but I don't actually know, aside from the OK Corral episode, what he actually shows up in. Mm. Is he not actually in Tribbles? No, he... Yeah, because that's season two, right? It is season two. I'm trying to remember what he did in Tribbles. Doesn't he? I I don't know. But he does show up. I know that much. He definitely does. But yeah, no, that's what I mean. Like, this season is very much, like, a lot of the big, sort of, the quote-unquote Star Trek episodes that I think a lot of people think of. That, like you said, even more casual fans might be aware of, or at least have gotten enough into the zeitgeist that aspects of them have been parodied ad nauseum. Oh, well, yeah. certainly Space Seed is this season. Yeah, well. Space yeah. Seed's coming up. 
I mean, you know, the thing about, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but the thing I, I, I observe about Space Seed is that, eh, it's a decent episode, but it's only, oh, Space Seed is only a classic, I think, in because retrospect. Of because of, yeah. Because of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree on that one, yeah. But we will talk about Space Seed when we get there. Yes. Woo! So, any final thoughts? No, I'm just, this worked great, and I'm really fired up and looking forward to continuing on. Great. Well, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, this has been episode three of A Star to Steer Her By. Uh, next week, episode four, we will be on... Um, Naked oh Time and Enemy Within. Thank you, Ames. Ooh, Naked Fencing Sulu. Yes. Ames. I look and so forward to it. creepy, rapey Kirk. <laughs> yep. Dear yeah. God. So yes, as always, please like our Facebook page, A Star to Steer Her By. You can also find us on Twitter at SSHB Podcast and on Tumblr under SSHB Podcast. This has been Chris. Ames, Caitlin, and Jake. Thank you for listening.